everybody out there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. We're going to talk about things, places, stuff, and today, specifically, a species, an organization, a group? Anyway, my name is Matt. A family. A fa Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's like the Fast and the Furious yeah, group. It's a family movie. Exactly. Um, but anyway, I'm Mac. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by my fellow crime biographer, Ross. Oh, Mac. Great to be here today as we talk about the Pikes. The Pikes. The Pikes. We have not touched the Pikes yet. And with their um, recent appearance in Book of Boba Fett, it mm -hmm. felt like a good time to do it. So we're going to talk about some of their appearances in Clone Wars, some of their appearances in Solo. Some of their appearances in Book of Boba Fett. Um, and uh, we will not spoil everything. You know, we're not going to go into detail about every single story they're a part of. Because we yep. don't want to spoil clone, you know, bits of Clone Wars that are very good. But we will talk about them as a species. We'll talk about the politics of crime in the Star Wars galaxy throughout different periods. And um, we'll, we'll just get into some fun stuff. We have some we'll fun things to say, I think. We'll see where that conversation goes as we talk about one of the most established crime organizations in the galaxy... mentioned but only recently shown corridor of the galaxy i'd say we have heard about the pike syndicates uh in numerous times i think it starts with the eu it might even go back to like the newspaper strip it might be that old just the word pike within a y um but it wasn't until Clone Wars that we sort of got the visual motif of what they were going to look like. And now they've appeared in numerous Star Wars production, both live action and non. We saw them in Solo, a Star Wars story. We've seen them in Rebels. We've even seen them now recently in Book of Boba Fett. Um, and they are arguably the second most important crime syndicate operating in the galaxy behind the Hut cartels. Yeah, that's a, you know what, that's a good way to sort of how should we put this, to categorize their importance. You know, we think of Jabba the Hutt as being this big crime lord because we've known about him since 1983, and, you know, we know he's the one ruling the galaxies, mm -hmm. you know, black market, for lack of a better term. Um, but we only really ever get to see in film Star Wars, you know, crime among the outer edge of the galaxy, you know, among the expansion yeah. territory and the Wild West as it is. You know, the crime we see on Coruscant is bounty hunters and, you know, political assassinations. It's not your day-to-day -day crime. We don't get to see much of that in the Clone Wars. And so mm -hmm. the reason I point that out is, you know, we know that all of these crime syndicates exist other than the Huts. 
but we have not gotten to spend a ton of time with any of them. You know, obviously in the 90s, we got to spend some time uh, with Black Sun, Black Sun and, you know, get to know them. And I think that kind of got everybody's head wrapped around all of these other ideas of these different syndicates out there. And then obviously we've got, you know, now Crimson Dawn, this newer syndicate that is, you know, coming up and becoming a big part of the universe. Um, so, yeah, you we're know, building the blocks in New Ken of mm-hmm. some of the, using some of these names and some of these things, but all kind of gelling them into one sort of landscape of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And really laying out the uh, hierarchy, yes. for lack of a better word, like you said, you know, the huts and then kind of the pikes as far as what we've seen in Star Wars, but also as far as probably their strength and their, you know, their, um, for lack of a better word, like uh, reach, you know, goes. So we have the Pikes. The first time we really see them is in Clone Wars, and we see them mm-hmm. in a couple um, sort of memorable moments and scenes. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest ones being when, uh, you know, they're investigating the disappearance of Sifo-Dyas. Yes. And the Pikes are heavily involved in that. It turns out they're responsible because of Dooku for shooting him down and held him imprisoned along with his aid and, you yeah. You know, we're not, yeah, yeah. You know, we we don't need to get into all the details. We're not here to spoil every single Pike story, but that <laughs> yeah. is our sort of our one of our first major introductions to them. Where at, you know there are other times they pop up. Obviously, we see in the last season of Clone Wars, uh, Trace and Martha, uh, Marta go to uh, you know the Pikes, and there's that great scene where we see Ooh. Kessel, both the positive and negative sides of it. There, so we get to see a lot of them in animation. Mostly though, with their helmets, you know, their 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 face masks. I mask was going to say, I think for the most of the first appearances, they have these large hexagonal sort of like head shapes, and the primary thing you think of when you see a the, the first design of the Pikes is, wow, those guys have really small faces. <laughs> they do, they do. They have small faces, and they like their drugs. That well, that's kind of what you think of at first. Well, I'm sorry, you mean they're they're medical. They're, they're yeah, sorry, they're medical spice. Yeah, because they're, they they're have a card reasonable people. Yeah, no, there's, the, the, you know, it's, it's we wouldn't deal with illegal spice. This right. is a... What does spice look like? I, <laughs> it, it is pretty great, because what they're basically established um, in most versions you see them is, they are most controlling over this particular type of drug trade. It is spice, this mind-altering substance that comes as this kind of golden dust. Um, And most of our stories so far involve that. Um, We have seen them in slightly, you know, how much infrastructure of organized crime they've built around that. But to quote Dune, the spice must flow. All of their stuff is about the trade and flow and free movement of this illegal substance, which is why, like, in the more recent ones we've seen, we've seen, like you said, with Trace and Marta, we saw um, essentially them uh, getting ripped off and them <laughs> getting really mad about it and explaining to them just how brutal they are with yeah. the mules that they use to move this stuff around. Uh, we saw in Book of Boba Fett that they're just kind of claiming territory because it's vacant from Jabba and any more ports that they can have to move this stuff around, warehouse it, and and to be honest... Oftentimes, very obliquely enslave local populations to work on this stuff is um, it gives them a real sinister edge because I think out of all the organized crime family, it doesn't seem like the Pikes are as ego driven as, say, like the Huts. It seems like the Pikes are kind of like a uniformly like 
organized group. Mm -hmm. There's not really a head of the Pikes. They all seem to be very fine in this very corporate flat structure of our job is to make the spice flow. And we all are a cog in that wheel. And uh, we're going to make sure that it does. And personal ambition is, I think, a little a little reduced in them. Um, they all seem opulent and jerks, but they definitely seem a lot more thoroughly organized. Yeah, we never see any internal strife among the Pikes. You know, we don't see any backstabbing. We see them looking out for them and them only. You know, they, mm -hmm. they follow the chain of command. They, um, you know, don't break under interrogation or anything yes. like that. You know, they are very much a hardened you know that they're the mafia they're they're the mob standard not that the huts aren't well, but the pikes have that feeling of like threatening you know whereas the mafia is more or the I, the huts are more the established they sort of seem to let well, the money come to them the pikes seem to be actively out there hustling for lack well, of a better yeah word. i think the thing about it is like, again if if the huts are the five families of new york style you know corsa nostra like you know moff yeah i've only mafia. seen two episodes of sopranos so you're gonna oh, have to break this okay. down for me um well the, well, basically, the traditional mobsters you see, if, if, if Jabba the Hutt is Al Capone, right? Yeah. These guys are, again, speaking to the American character, but this has happened in Asia and a lot of other countries. These are the drug cartels. These are, we have these routes and we protect these routes. And there are people who have control of those routes and controls those planting fields and controls of all these different places. But at the end of the day, all of them are woven to each other a lot more you know, like the guy who gets it across the border can't make money if the guy growing it doesn't deliver. If the mules who get it across the border don't get it to sellers and dealers, then yeah. no one gets paid. So there's a lot more like of a lifeblood circulation system to Symbiotic it. Symbiotic circle, as Gwygon would say. Yeah, yeah, in a dark, gross way. Um, <laughs> and I think that's most expressed in you see just how like how much they only care about this trade by some of the characters we've seen. So in the finale of Clone Wars, we find a pike that basically is pulling and siphoning some of this work or is working with um, Maul to distribute. Yeah. And he's scared of Maul. But at the same time, it seems very businessy. Like either the pikes themselves or this group of pikes have sold the spice to Maul and Maul wants to make profit yeah. off of it. So obviously when it comes to the sort of hierarchy of Crimson Dawn among the uh, the different crime families, we don't necessarily know right. every detail yet because we're still, you know, we know Maul's journey up to a certain point. And so we know that at the end of the Clone Wars, Maul seemed to be in charge of Crimson Dawn and, uh, with, you know, the Mandalorian's help, essentially. That was his main force. Yeah. And he was <sighs> gathering crime family support, right? He uses the Pikes. He uses these other families to get Mandalore under his control, right? So, so he is essentially the figurehead of all of these crime syndicates, the Black Sun, the Pikes, yep. uh, Crimson Dawn at this point, without actually being in charge because we see Dryden Voss. We see right. all these other people who are the actual well, that's, heads. That's so why it's Maul, the shadow collective, right? right? Is the whole thing of he's the guy pulling the strings right. of of essentially banding them together so that he has this, to be honest, what Maul's entire plan is. So he has a way to shield himself from Sidious's gaze. It's it's very, very interesting the idea of 
having so much like you're gathering so much momentum around you so many resources that you're just trying to protect yourself you're literally yeah. trying to just have such a big force that when he finally realizes you're out there right he can't come after you and clearly that and, doesn't work the first time and, uh, and one steeped in the dark side so it's just this interesting thing of he's pulling all these strings together and he's he's carved up some of the hut huts and just murdered some of the heads of these families mm -hmm. to basically carve out this space for his group um and makes mandalore this like essentially cartel world for him to run everything out of and then of course he gets run off by sidious and we don't really have the missing information of how much of that structure does he lose in that bargain like by the time he's resurged as the head of Crimson Dawn, how much of the Shadow Collective is still under Crimson Dawn's thumb? Because we know, at least from Solo, when we go to the Spice Mines and Kessels, the Pikes are definitely seemingly independent. They, you know, there isn't an official channel for Crimson Dawn to request any of this stuff. They seem to leave the Pikes their territory in Crimson Dawn. Right. At least well, from Draenei Boss's perspective, he's like, I don't want to go up against the Pikes. If you want to rip off the Pikes, that's fine, but you're doing it as Han Solo, independent contractor. Yes, <laughs> and that is very telling, I think, about the state of the world. Um, because Maul has had so many rises and falls, right? Because remember when him and Savage are on Mandalore and Sidious, yeah. obviously you're talking about that, comes and takes him captive. And then he's broken back out of prison by Death Watch, right? And the, so the Pikes don't have anything to do with any of that. Right. And then by the time we get to the season seven, you know, the Trace and Martha episodes of Clone Wars, he seemingly, like you're saying, is back to being in charge of the Pikes, being yes. in charge of this collective. So, you know, he goes to Mandalore, Ahsoka fights him off, he gets captured, and then escapes during Order 66. We can maybe assume that that's where his relationship with the Pikes ended, right. because he essentially left them all to die on Mandalore. Yes. So when we're talking about, you know, we see the Pikes in the timeline of Solo and we see Maul in the timeline of Solo, that's probably the safe reason to assume why they're no longer working together is because of what he did at the end of the Clone Wars with them in yeah. his attempt to kill Skywalker. And while we're here, let's just mention the Pikes, uh, like I said, the reason they sort of came into, I think, popular terms is they're they've been like tied to the Spice Mines of Kessel forever. That there is this planet that you mine spice from because yep. it's apparently a mineral and you mine it. Um, and it's run by slaves and the hotshot smugglers. It is the it is the most infamous, like <laughs> high risk, high reward uh, money run yeah. for your for a smuggler. Um, and that was all because they talked about it having like, you know, these parts of it's got a whole series of black holes around it. And it also has all these different gravity wells you have to slingshot around. And when Solo sort of remapped that, I like how they did it where there's one safe tunnel in and out of this territory, this maelstrom. And if you get out of that maelstrom, there's giant super monsters. There are black holes just randomly all over the place. Like... It is an insanely dangerous thing. The Pikes have a good setup as far as planet security goes. Yeah, they only, only have to close one out. door. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need a shield gate for that. And obviously it must make tons of money for them to maintain this relatively, like, you'd think if there was an easier place to get spice from, they would have found it. <laughs> and I yeah. love that we saw all of that in Solo, and when we returned to it in again chronologically in our world the next time we see Kessel we see it with um, the end of Clone Wars and like oh oh that dirt mine quarry with all the like the, the totally bedraggled Wookiees and other people enslaved to us 
oh, that's the other side of the planet. Over here at the palatial estates, like there's this whole extremely yeah. opulent part to the planet as mm -hmm. well. And it's really good to see that because the only time we get to see that is in animation in season seven of The Clone Wars. Right. Um, that's the only time we get to see that. And it's a really, really nice juxtaposition for you know how these uh, these rulers are living versus the quality of life their slaves have yeah. and um obviously it's showing the the horrid nature of the star wars galaxy and the outer rim and all of that yeah. and it's just all world building and all very interesting and that's ultimately what the pikes are you know i mean up until recently obviously now with book of boba fett we're getting more specific pike stuff but what i mean by that is we still don't really have outside of the clone wars a main pike character we don't no, have a really. main pike antagonist right so like they are very much for lack of a better term world dressing you know they are yeah. they are spice that makes star wars more interesting that was a yeah, pun, yeah. i guess the spice of uh, the star wars but yeah. you know they aren't there's not a lot of meat on that bone yet. It's just interesting facts that have been well, built up about them. It's no different than a whole bunch of us are just sitting, chomping at the bit, going like, you've mentioned Black Sun. When is Prince Jesus going to show yeah. up? He's got to be around here somewhere. Did you put him in a closet? Is he on Coruscant? Where is he? I know you've got him in there. That right. demographic is right at the perfect money spending age. <laughs> Come on, you know that that twentieth anniversary of episode two is right around the corner. That Where's should my be enough inches? to tell you. Where's my three and three quarters? Where's my Lego yeah. set? <laughs> well, the problem with six inches, they can't repaint another figure to make it, so they're not interested. Well, uh, yeah, but I mean, every once in a while. Yeah. Um, again, I, I feel lately. <laughs> I feel the nostalgia train with uh, Shadows of the Empire is eventually that. I know. While that story doesn't fit, it really can't fit into the way that the stories are written now. But it's they're going to mine it. I think in the same way that Thrawn is yeah. like Shizor is this great antagonist they have in the wings yeah. and they just need the right story to like reintroduce him. Yeah. It'll happen one day. It's just a matter of time. Um, you know, we're not playing much in that time period and that's why I hope one day we get, uh, you know, a new Luke actor, a new Leia actor, and we can actually tell stories in or that Or just time get period. that digital stuff enough that they just go like, yeah, no, we, uh, we're, they're going to be acting forever. We have these I know how much you hate company. that, so I know how much this is a joke right it's, now. Well, it's, it's not so much I hate it, it's just the fact of like, I'm fine with recasting. I can yeah. accept it. Well, like, yeah, we're in this. Like, we're when in I went to Solo, I didn't go, who is that guy? Like, I'm good. See, the thing is, I'll be happy to admit I was nervous until I saw Solo and that totally quashed all my fears. He was great. Yeah. And there's no reason they can't do that two more times. No, no. And, and, and they can. And I think eventually on a long enough timeline, they will. I think so much of this is just sort of flexing. Yeah. And again, I think they're more careful around stuff that like Luke coming back and needing to look like Return of the Jedi Luke for the some of the scenes they want. I understand, like, especially when he arrives at the end of season two, like mm -hmm. I know why they really wanted to go that extra mile and make it mark mm -hmm. like, you know, Solo has sure, that sort of break sure. of this is a different time period. This is a younger guy. This is a different sure. character than, you know, he becomes that character, you know, um, and and that's fine. Uh Oh, we, we haven't even mentioned. So one of the things I like about the Pikes is I like, much like the Huts, they're this frail species that you kind of don't understand how they collected their power. Because mm -hmm. once you take those head masks off and stuff, they just had these little tiny catfish heads. <laughs> yeah. And relatively, I mean, most of them have been in really thick robes, but relatively spindly bodies. They they are not they physically look, imposing. They look beefier in live action in animation yes. they look very thin and frail like you could just snap them yes like they have like chicken wing arms or something yes um 
all in all, I mean, yeah, they are not physically imposing. It's it's the, you know, you have a hundred soldiers for every one of your enemies, and you're just overpowering them. Yeah. Very much like the huts. Most huts are not physically imposing, but because they can hire the Cad Banes of the world and the, yeah. you know, uh, droid turret tanks with impenetrable shields, like... Because they're you made know, men who are yeah. protected. So that, you know, it's you don't need to be uh, Black Crescenton to, you know, to have power in the Star Wars galaxy. Well, you and know? it's a great continuation of the um, a visual motif of the class warfare this is representing, right? This mm-hmm. opulent, un you know, unworking, physically bloated, you know, in the case of the Huts or just, you know physically frail in the case of the pikes this just sort of detachment of they have to have all this labor and all this muscle around them and they get that by being really well off you know star wars is interesting when you start to talk about like real world comparisons and analogies and all that because star wars um you know when you really look back at the at its origins it's very much about you know the upstart you know military with nothing taking out you know the big superpower right right that is the story the the, the classic thing is a lot of the visual of new hope is drawn out of the vietnam war and the heroes are not the u.s military yeah Yeah. well uh obviously um oh boy not gonna get into that not gonna just it's it's about asymmetrical warfare if you want to be kinder and you want to rosie it's the american revolution and it's the upstart rebels going against the standing greatest military in the world and as you go (laughs) and as you go uh farther into star wars you know you start to realize we've seen okay we see opulence right we see military might and we see um you know guerrilla warfare then we get to a point where we see like in the prequels we see opulence we see like this is how the richest people live you know this yeah. is how the politically connected people live and we see you know the, the 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 once again the poorest people the poorest areas star wars has this thing where it shows us the people at the top of the food chain and mm-hmm. it shows us the people at the bottom of the food chain we very rarely see that middle ground Mm. Um, you know, a, a great example, upper... Alderaan, right? Like yeah. the right, like obviously you have the Queen of Alderaan, Naboo, or I mean, so, I'm sorry, the Monarchy of Alderaan, right? So yeah. you have that, but like we don't really see much of like you know your normal everyday Alderaanian citizens, your normal everyday Naboo Nabooians who are living a happy, content life on a peaceful, well-run yeah, planet. Yeah, I would say... There aren't a lot of stories about that kind of stuff, and I think eventually we'll start to touch that. But I think, obviously, you know, when you have the the top of the food chain versus the bottom of the food chain in any story, yeah. that's going to make for the most interesting story and fits well, all the tropes and, like and everything. Said. But it is interesting to think that we never really see, you know, Naboo, Alderaan. Those are the, ex- the things that jump to my mind as examples yeah. of kind of that middle-class analogy and stuff. Star Wars that we never really see. Yeah, and like you said, I think it's probably probably because again, the lens we were looking at this is either you're looking at the end of the Republic, mm-hmm. where again the classes have become pretty divided. Um, in this case, we're definitely more talking about the political versus the industrial because that's the schism yeah. that causes the Clone Wars. But even that is coming from the same politics we hear sort of, to be honest, being writ for the first time in the High Republic of. You have the Outer Rim and you have the Core Worlds and basically we don't spend time in the middle because it's either you're established or you're the frontier and the frontier is looked down upon by the established. Mm -hmm. And I think the nice thing is we see kind of class being used both positively and negatively. Like we have, you know, 
Palpatine, who definitely is a guy who has privilege and all this kind of stuff, got his senatorial seat and, you know, has seemingly great amounts of wealth to pursue his Sith activities. Like, he's really well set up. And we also have Bail Organa, and we're seeing, like, what the the good billionaires are doing in star Wars. Right. Yeah. Um, but, and then when you get to the, the Imperial times, you have the classism being really structured by the whole, the empire is a collectivist in the, all the wrong ways. Like, you know, like, um, how world war two Italy was of stealing all the means of production. Oh, this is a great factory. It's the empires now. Um, and so you're seeing that whole controlling sense that basically makes it that, if you're well off, it is because you're either in the side the government or you're not. Um, and we get to see a lot of that. And that, again, smashes everything down that we're not really able to see the middle class. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest, if we're going to see it, I think Book of Boba Fett, um, Mandalorian, and the pretty much the majority of the timeline up until essentially where things kick off with the um, sequel trilogy is where we should see that when the galaxy is relatively at peace, the middle class is probably opened back up again. Crime is probably relatively manageable. The worst of it's probably in the dark, dank parts of like, you know, level 1313 of Coruscant (laughs) and the outer rim. Um, But if you like, I'm just saying that I'm thinking that Corellia was probably an okay working class planet during the Republic. It's an absolute awful diesel greasy mess, mm-hmm. as we saw in Solo. And I'm going to guess by the time of the sequel trilogy, it's probably cleaned up and made something of itself. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, we talk about like the Book of Boba Fett taking place uh, six years after Return of the Jedi. So, you know, starting to get into that time period you're referencing. Yeah. And now that, you know, we're kind of saying it out loud, it's kind of funny. The story of the Book of Boba Fett is, you know, uh, sort of person driving out the organized crime so yeah. that middle class can come back and thrive. You know, they a talk free about town. Yeah, free the t- workers district and all of that and how there's no work available and there should be, and he can make work available and he's, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, doing it by offering the jobs well, and making it happen. I and think what you're getting at is like Freetown represents a bunch of people kind of sick of this stuff. They don't have to take anymore. They don't have to take crap from the empire. It's disbanded. They don't have to take crap. Crap from the Pike syndicates because they're a bunch of jerks who don't even belong here. And last but not least, the New Republic, they're busy. They're not even paying attention to this planet. (laughs) Um, And you're right. Like, by the end, Boba Fett, even though he's technically, you know, the major domo of this crime world, the way he's talking about regulation and the way that community of Masas becomes in the end, like, he's like a few stone throws away from becoming a community organizer, right? Like (laughs) he's he's, bingo on the weekends. Well, I I mean, to be really honest, like there's a certain level of decorum that is coming back to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be honest, the nice town on Tatooine. I'm sure Moss Eisley is still a dump, but, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think it was also, I, I want to say, I can't wait to see it shakes out with the pikes of were they taking tattooing because it was just an opportunist thing or is it because out of desperation they just need to claim more territory because maybe their territory is shrinking or was someone else putting them up to it because that is you know there's lots to still uncover there if they do another season because I remember in the EU when they have to be honest when the EU started getting really what's the right word tired and really spending time on a lot of mundane things, which are neat. Like I like knowing that calf is 
coffee in Star Wars. And I like that they know they were sharing a cup of calf. They're on Coruscant today, the good morning America of, you know, the galaxy far, far away. Um, I remember they talked about one of the things that really crushes the crime and makes it better in the New Republic, which might carry forward to this New Republic, is most forms of spice were decriminalized. <laughs> and so... Uh, there's it's, a lot of it's very not modern, illegal. <laughs> there's a lot of very modern governments in our world that advocate that that is the best way to do it too, is to make it illegal and support people and not send them to jail for it. So I mean, there's yeah. modern art, like especially well, when you talk about the twenty some years between then and now, oh, the yeah, way the no. viewpoint has changed around the world. Well, yeah, you know, and the, with countries decriminalizing. Yeah, just the idea that spice, no matter how terrible it is, the 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 social cost of dealing with addicts and curing them and hospitalizing them and all that kind of stuff. Is that actually more costly than dealing with all of the organized crime that comes out of it being illegal? If we un, if we make it, you know, decriminalized, do we not only save ourselves? And I mean, I'm not getting into U.S. politics about the the jailing and stuff, but I mean, just <laughs> totally overall, like, does it cost more for a civilization to fight it as an illegal substance, or does it make it more sense to make it legal and just fight the social ills that come from that? Mm -hmm. Is that easier to deal with than actually an organized crime that you're and fighting? And when you're talking about this, obviously, in the real world, there are benefits to both, right? Like there, And there there's are, no there perfect are, solution. Right, right. There are tax implications. And, oh, of course, all sorts of other reasons why a government might want to do things. But... Uh, but but this is what the sequel trilogy was missing. It's like, I <laughs> yes, understand it was. most people don't want that, but it's what makes Star Wars feel like a living, breathing place is the nods of like, why are the Pikes powerful? Because of spice. Well, if there is no spice, well, that would make them unpowerful. Well, that would be interesting to see what that would do to the universe. And these shaping and molding and twisting of the universe is the stuff I think that really opens it up and makes you feel like it's a place like when mandalorian season one starts and you find out there's a bounty hunters guild and that most of the bounty hunters you've seen up to now had a fob or a puck inside their pocket somewhere <laughs> yeah. that is the legal mechanisms that allow them to operate on all these different planets on the galaxy on these bounty hunter runs and sort of have a jurisdiction that's respected by most civilized worlds of mm -hmm. like this is the only answer for the frontier we can't police all of it so you are interim police and so you are you're not deputized you're not a law officer you are part of the infrastructure of the law out here yeah. and i think seeing all that stuff is really really important and i hope we do get a pike character because i think the other thing with the pikes is they're very much in that classic sci-fi trope of yeah all pikes are spice runners yeah well what, yeah. what what about the the good pikes there are no good pikes they're all spice runners every single one of them is involved in the spice trade I mean, yeah, we, <laughs> if you're not following here, I mean, think about it this way, right? We never got to know a stormtrooper until we saw Finn take off his helmet, right? right? Same thing. That's what we're talking about here. We want to see, you know, what does your average everyday Pike think about? You know, we want the Thrawn Ascendant to the trilogy for a Pike. Yeah, I just, I That's want them want. to break out of being a monolithic species into, oh yeah, this is a group of people. Um, and hopefully we'll see that soon. I hope so. I mean... We've gotten so much. They're such a cool design. Um, they've been in nothing but great content. Every time the Pikes show up, it seems like a great episode. So we're, you know, we're happy to see them. And I know we're going to see more. So, Mac, mm -hmm. eventually we'll get to talk about them again. But for <laughs> now, I think that's all we have to say. Let's go wrap this one up.
All right, another episode of Star Wars All In wraps up. Yep. It's been good times. Yep, we've we've landed the ship. Uh, we are refueling. I'm running off to get some, uh, you know, uh, roasted shack. Uh, we're going to have some, uh, some fuzzy tauntauns over you know, at the bar. Speaking of which, let's just make a quick comment of uh, a time of recording. Uh, all the, the news and the YouTubes and all this stuff, we're starting to see what that Galactic Star Cruiser is like, what it's like to be on yeah. the Halcyon. Yeah, we have some boots on the ground there. As we speak, friend of the show, Chris, is mm-hmm. uh, there experiencing it for himself, and uh, we will have him on the show soon to talk about it. Whether he likes it or not. Yeah, he was going to come on today. We talked about it, yeah. but he got in real late last night. So, it's fair. It's yeah. fair. Um, but we, we do want to talk about that because it's one of the more interesting things going on in Star Wars along with... Uh, I, I, did you see... I guess there was a trailer that came out. A trailer for Bad Batch Season 2? Uh, not yet. A trailer for more Star Wars Visions? Uh, no, not yet. A trailer for Solo 2? Make Solo 2 happen. Make Solo 2 happen. No, no, it was for that little indie mini series they're releasing in May. Uh, oh, Miss Marvel. <laughs> also, there is a trailer for that. It looks, yeah, it looks it, delightful. It looks super cute. It yeah. looks adorable. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm talking about the return of Ewan McGregor to the role yes, that we all yes, love him for. Yes, yes, Train Spotting Kenobi. 3 is coming. Um, where... <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry, I'll stop. Um, yeah, so the Obi Wan trailer, I've only watched it once. Because mm-hmm. I'm basically at a point of, yeah, I'm sold. I know I'm in. I don't need to see any more. I am now officially staying off all spoiler, spoiler boards. Wow, you live in my life. I, yeah, Except I am, on purpose. Uh, I just naturally avoid it because yeah. I'm real. Well, I like it for like merch and stuff like that. Like I like early spoilers. Like I like little spoilers. But I don't want the whole kit and caboodle ruined for me. So, Well, and so many of these things since the Marvel sort of like marketing cycle really has gotten going. They're so... Smart about the fact of like showing you very specific scenes that are either pointing you in a direction towards what the story is or totally throwing you the other direction. Yeah, like, it's going to be interesting to see because the Kenobi trailer specifically feels like it showed a lot compared to previous first Star Wars trailers. Yeah. And, you know, we're only two months away, so it's going to come quick. Um, yeah, my, I don't know. I don't want to see any more. My Personally. general vibe on it is it it's a confusing trailer to me because I feel like it's like two amazingly awesome Star Wars shows I absolutely want to watch, but apparently are the same show. Because there's the introspective, like, I'm waiting for him to almost, like, write haikus in his loneliness and, and like, reflecting on all the things that have happened to him that brought him to being here on Tatooine and, you know, being this warden for this boy he needs to protect but never really part of this boy's life just watching him from afar and protecting him from over here and keeping his identity secret and not wanting to let anyone know that he's a jedi or anyone of import and then on coruscant the the inquisitors are hunting down the last of the jedi and murdering them in the streets and apparently this one inquisitor is between those two worlds stitching them together looking at owen lars and saying like you know, really strong lines. It's it's fascinating. And the more I've watched it, the more I've processed it, the more questions I have. Like, is that the Grand Inquisitor? Is that who's in that trailer? I don't know. He seems really interesting. I wouldn't want to fall up Jeremy Irons. Good for you. <laughs> um, you know, we, we briefly mentioned it when it sort of come out, but like the internet has had a lot of time to stew on it. And the answers we come up with are, wow, you could go a lot of different ways here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. And, um, I think we're going to see some interesting stuff. I suspect 
we will get plot twists that we're not accept- expecting. Yes. I suspect we will get cameos we're not expecting. Um, and personally, I am becoming more and more convinced that we are going to get a fair amount of flashback story. And I know you're not a fan of that. But I think as soon as we get some Clone Wait, Wars flashbacks, we'll all be okay with it. I just want to say, I don't mind going to the past. I just like it being told in sequence. Yeah, if you want, fair. If you want to talk about the past, just start there. Start... If you want to start this show and it's Obi-Wan getting off of whatever craft he used to get here, dropping the kids off, and that's right where the story starts is like, I got to go look at some local real estate, do some apartment hunting, see what's available. Like, I'm all for that. Go find some black melons. It would be great. Yeah, exactly. Find out about this crate dragon, where to avoid it from. (laughs) Find out what these Judland wastes are. Learn that sand people walk single file to hide their numbers. Like, I don't know that yet. (laughs) I've never been to this planet before. Except for, like, you know, when I was on that ship. But I didn't even leave the ship during that whole event. I was just working on the hyperdrive. Huh. You think about it. Yeah. He knows nothing about Tatooine. Yeah. He never even got out of the minivan when they stopped by to get some gas. Yeah. Fair um, point. So fair it, point. So it's very in, so like I would be all for that, but I just want you to start there, not like like I don't know Obi Wan having an Inquisitor's blade to his neck, and he goes, "You might be asking how I got into this crazy situation." Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because obviously they're gonna want to put sword fights in the show. But, you don't put red blades in there to have them not knock against blue blades. Right. But at the same time, any Inquisitor who comes against Kenobi needs to die. Like, needs to not be able to report back to Vader. Or you've got to be that really careful choreography of Anakin never sees General Grievous during the entire run of Clone Wars. You've yeah. got to do that weird choreography yeah. because it won't make sense for anyone. Basically, by the end of the show, everyone has to think Obi-Wan is just as dead as at the beginning of the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's probably what will happen because clearly it seems like they're not going to be able to shy away from having Vader and Obi-Wan fight. So, oh, you I, know, see, it, that's the one where I'm like, no, I think it really needs to be that. Like, I think that line from Vader needs to be, I haven't felt a presence. I felt in a long time has to be, I haven't felt it since I was Anakin. I, mean, Personally. I agree, but I just don't think that's where we're going to be in six months. But that's exciting. We're going to yeah, find out. We're going to we have more Star Wars to watch and that is very exciting. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely the biggest news. And last but not least, it's nice to see something just being recognized positively. I don't hear much. Like yeah. like me being concerned about how these how the peanut butter and the jelly are going to come together is like about as negative as any opinion I've ever read. Mm. And that's not even like an opinion. That's just a how are they going to do that? Not a I don't think this works. Yeah. And, you know, especially coming off of, not that we didn't have fun with Book of Boba Fett, not that we didn't enjoy it, but obviously the reaction was not as overwhelmingly positive as, like, Mando Season 2 was. So it's nice just to see the community be excited and interested. And, I mean, who doesn't love you and who doesn't love Obi-Wan? And he's been waiting for this. What a a great, like, you know, because for the longest time immediately after his turn at Obi-Wan, he was kind of one of the stuck in the mud mud who's like, ah, yeah, I'm going to do Episode 3, but, like, "Ah, I don't do the fan things. I don't, like... Obi-Wan was a thing. I'm done. I'm going to move it on. It's so nice to see him come back and say, like, no, this is pretty great. You guys are pretty awesome. And you guys always are sending me fan mail about that all the time. All the time. (laughs) P.O. Box is full. Um, Yeah, we I I expect nothing but great things from the show, but I can't wait to see it in person. And my favorite part about it is, as I knock on wood, 
it's like a tight six episodes. Yeah. I'm very excited to see a, what I would call a true mini series. Yeah, for sure. I do hope the episodes are longer, you know, an hour. Yeah, 45 minutes to like an hour would yeah. be nice. But yeah. it, but my biggest thing is I am hoping at the end of this, it doesn't end with tune in for Kenobi season two. I, I really am hoping this is just one beautiful little story. I'd be surprised yeah, if it wasn't. Even if we got a season two, I'd be surprised if this was written. With that in mind. With that in mind. Yeah, that that's kind of where my... You can only get you and Gregor so, for so long. <laughs> He's a busy boy. <laughs> He's filming all those Apple shows where he rides his motorcycle places. Which is kind of a neat show. When you, uh, yeah. it's, it's neat. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's enough from us for right now. Um, yeah, exciting stuff going on in the galaxy. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we keep inching closer and closer, and it's going to get better and better. But... With that said, I think we're done here. I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. Until next Wednesday. May the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2022.